Today, we're joined by a Shark Week legend, and in our Shark Bite, we'll discover if shark conservation is going in the right direction. G'day everyone, welcome to another episode of Shark Week, the podcast. I'm your host, Luke Tipple, and today we've got a really special episode because we have a legend of the shark filming industry. Filming sharks is a massive industry, and I'm not just talking about Shark Week, it's everywhere. It's in our zeitgeist, it's in our movies. There's more sharks getting filmed today than there have been for decades, but they still seem kind of elusive. And from the days of Blue Water White Death, where adventurous souls got into the water with chainmail and got bit by blue sharks, to today, where people are quite happy swimming outside the cage with great whites, we've become very, very comfortable with them. But we've also had to kind of ramp up what we're showing, the behavior that we're showing, till it becomes almost like shark porn. You know, that's a very clickbaity term, but that's kind of what it is. We're showing the very finite highlights and extreme behavior of sharks in order to teach people about them, yes, but also to get them excited. But how sustainable is that? Do we keep ratcheting it up and make more and more extreme shows on sharks? Or do we reel it back a little bit and go more natural history? You know, it's an interesting question. And what we have to do is always be thinking about what is the best for sharks? Is it good to have them being filmed all the time so that we can see them all the time so we learn more about them? And how does that help our conservation efforts? So to answer this question, we've brought in Shark Week legend Andy Casagrande. This guy is a top bloke. He's an Emmy award-winning filmmaker, and he's made more Shark Week shows than I think anyone else on the planet. If there's anybody who can answer these questions, it's him. So Andy, how many shark shows have you done? You know what? I actually meant to count that uh, before we did this. It's well over 150 shark documentaries. Uh, and it's actually, if you include all the footage that's been used that I've shot over the years in other documentaries, uh, I've contributed to well over 200. I'll count, count it eventually, but, but a lot of shark films, possibly the, more than anyone on the planet. I think you'd be pretty close to that. We should count that because, you know, you could have a nice little badge of honor there. Uh, you know... We started out this show talking about the concept of shark porn, you know, this idea that there's this, this category of filmmaking where we're just kind of showing like the highlight reel of sharks and why it's so attractive to people. Do you think that term is, is derogatory or funny? Let's start with that. I mean, I, I find it a bit funny. Anytime you mention the word porn, people's ears are going to perk up. They're going to pay attention. What are they talking about? And shark porn obviously is referring to like the jaws, the claws, the teeth, the, the scary parts of the shark that we don't always see you know, every day in real life, like, you know, you, you kind of have to put the shark into a position where it bites at something at a certain angle to get these shots or whatever. And to me, it's a double-edged sword. It draws people in. They want to see that. I was fascinated as a kid by the teeth, the arsenal. But at the same time, we want to be realistic and approach sharks, you know, objectively at the same time. Don't want to demonize them. Don't want to treat them like puppy dogs at the same time. But um, you kind of get a variety of all those aspects when you make a film. And yeah. it's challenging. It is. And as you say, it's certainly a clickbait thing that, that people use. And, you know, beyond the actual term, the whole idea of showing a shark as just being this, you know, chomping, eating machine at all times is, I mean, it is disingenuous to what the shark is doing all the time. But if you showed what the shark was doing all the time, we'd be sitting here, you know, 24 hours a day watching a shark just swim around doing nothing. Yeah. Like we just saw a, a study the other day that showed uh, that swimmers uh, or surfers in California are surrounded by great white sharks like 97% of the time. Yeah. yeah. 
juveniles, you know, they're fish eaters. They're not necessarily going to be going after people, but we're in the presence of sharks all the time. They're not doing the gnarly stuff. But That is incredible. That, that, it it what, is, right? What's happening in California out there with that many sharks, that many surfers, and you know, certainly they're of the size class where they're still focused on smaller prey classes and sizes of prey, but at the same time, they eventually make that transition where they're targeting items that are our size, and not all the sharks out there mingling are, are juveniles, so it's pretty cool that they're coexisting and kind of like sharing the surf, um, yeah. at least for now, which is good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it showed that sharks don't always swim around just trying to decide whether they want to bite a surfer all the time. You know, they're, they're constantly making the decision not to. You know, they're actually, right. you know, very capable of making intelligent decisions. But if we're looking at making shark films and wanting to show this shark behavior, where is the fine line between where it becomes a little bit too much for people? Where they're like, we're actually not only fascinating them, we're kind of scaring them a bit too much to where they might think that, hey, sharks are just going to come and eat me all the time when in fact they're not. I think the more films they watch about sharks and the more they read, the more they learn, they'll realize that like certainly when sharks encounter humans in a negative manner and there's fatalities. Recently in Egypt, there was a, quite an intense uh, pr predatory attack where a tiger shark killed, killed a young person. And it was pretty clear that that shark was trying to feed. It didn't seem to be a defensive attack. It wasn't a bite and spit. I, so I think, you know, when people learn about these attacks, these encounters, or they watch films where they, they understand shark sensory systems and how they operate, and how sometimes they'll switch from their hearing to their ampullae of Lorenzini or their lateral line, and they understand the biology of how these predators interact and hunt, it can make them safer in the water. Like if you're more vigilant, you maintain eye contact, don't swim around where, where there's lots of bait and lots of prey items, or you, you might become prey yourself, basically. Yeah. So I think what I'm hearing you say is perhaps that people, you know, if they were just to go and watch one shark film, they might come away with the wrong idea potentially about a species or an environment or something. But if they watch many shark films, become educated about the species, become educated about the environment and how we deal with it, then they're going to have that well-rounded knowledge that the sharks aren't just going to go and, you know, bite everything that they see. Right. Would that be fair? Yeah, totally. I mean, and sharks are really the only species on the planet that's getting this many documentaries made yeah. about them. I mean, between all the networks, you're looking at 50 plus hours documentaries made every year about sharks. It's crazy. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy. And so some of them are going to be focused on entertainment, hyping it up, scaring you. Some are going to be focused on the science, the engineering, the technology. And then some are just going to be like uh, cocaine sharks and crazy stuff. And you like, <laughs> like typical Hollywood, uh, you know, whatever. So. You know, no, that's actually one I'm looking forward to seeing. That's going to be on Shark Week this year, I believe. And uh, in all of this time filming sharks, how is it that you've come away without being bit? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, a lot of it's just uh, being hyper vigilant and always expecting that it could happen. You know, like the whole like hoping for the best, planning for the worst kind of thing. You never want to go into a situation where you're like, oh my God, I'm going to get bit. I'm going to die. I'm going to, you know, like you can't think like that. You have to be realistic you have to be calculated um, there's always the, the, these risks that you take that are calculated and you just have to be ready for when things go sideways i've only had a handful of times where sharks have tried to bite me and try to you know you know remove limbs or try to kill me um not kill me in a malicious way but where they could have made bad contact with me um but it's always around a 
a situation where they're feeding, they're hunting, they're baiting, they're, we're using bait or, you know, so uh, just being vigilant, respectful. And, you know, when you realize you need to get out, you should get out. And in general, people interacting in the oceans, the more eye contact you make with a, with a shark, the less likely it's going to want to try to interact with you in a negative fashion. So, I mean, Luke, how long have you been diving with sharks? Have you ever had, uh, have you ever had any, you ever been bit? <laughs> um, don't lie now. I, don't lie no, now. No, I, I have, I've been bit in chainmail, but that oh, was wow. kind of intentional. Okay. Um, I've been nipped on the back of the head, um, which was unintentional. That was a lemon shark out at Tiger Beach. I was wearing Gosh. a hood. It just kind of got a, a tooth stuck in my hood. Um, <laughs> I, I think it was coming after the bubbles, to be honest. Um, okay. You know, I was exhaling and I don't like to wear hoods a lot anymore because of that situation. I hate hoods. I hate yeah. hoods. I don't wear um, But uh, I think on productions and stuff, even though there's this inherent sense of danger that, that we have in the show, and of course there is, and we are manufacturing scenarios to be able to, ex to show off the shark's behavior. You know, we're starting feeding frenzies, we're doing all these things to be able to capture that, you know, one or 2% of behavior in, you know, the period of time that we have with them underwater. Um, so we're constantly putting ourselves into dangerous situations, but we're also factoring in everything that could happen. So we have the right safety support. We have the right crew there. Right. Um, you know, we've got cameras in front of us. There's always something to bump a shark off with. Well, generally there is. Um, yeah. So I think probably the, the more hairy situations is when we haven't really been um, filming. You know, like at Guadalupe, I had a great white um, very seriously try to take my leg off. Um, and that was, you know, kind of... I think of it as kind of my fault, even though it wasn't, but that was on a free diving shoot and I, I entered the water, no splash and everything. And there was six or seven great whites in the water. I counted four or five out in front of me and then I looked down under the boat and there was one coming at mark speed straight up at me. I'm like, oh, okay, this is, this is going to go bad. I, I was vertical in the water at that time. I managed to turn turtle, flip down and get my eyes on them. Um, I think that's about as much as I was able to do, but it gave it that moment of pause to be able to deflect and and it swam away, but it came within 12 inches of my fin with its mouth fully open, you know? Wow. Um, and then uh, there was one time when I was uh, working shipwrecks back home in Australia, and we just do, we used to live boat over the shipwreck called the Yongala. Why does it sound so familiar? Where, where is it? It's in North Queensland, inside the Barrier Reef. Um, it's a shipwreck. Uh, several people died. It's a, it's a natural shipwreck. And it's, uh, it's called either the, the first or second best shipwreck dive in the world. And it's just <laughs> spectacular. Big megafauna all over it. And what I used to love about that job was we'd motor over the top of it and uh, we'd be live boating. The captain would say, go. I'd jump off the back with a, uh, uh, a couple of safety tanks and the line. And I'd go down and tie off. And so I was alone in the water by myself. So I'd always get to see the coolest stuff. Right. And it was always the big animals. There was quite often big bull sharks down there, big rays and stuff. And generally, they'd take off by the time the tourist divers got to come down. Um, one time I jumped in and noticed half a giant trevally floating past me. I'm like, oh, that's, that's pretty interesting. Why is <laughs> that the case? And I'd literally landed in the middle of a bull shark feeding frenzy who'd nailed this probably 40-pound giant trevally. And wow. I, was now, I was now messing with it. So, yeah, they chased me all the way to the wreck. It was, I had to fend them off with a tank. It, it was pretty gnarly. Oh, wow. Um, but on camera, never really had anything like that. Everything generally is pretty controlled. Yeah. Yeah, usually uh, pretty lucky. Like this year, 
I was using this little like uh, laser system to get measure the gape of the great whites underwater. And yeah. it's, it's, I'm used to having like a 50 pound camera in front of me. This thing was like a five pound like piece of P- PVC. And the shark came up and then I realized it was going to try to bite it. And all I could do was like kind of try to push the shark off with this little like uh, Home Depot like PVC part, which was pretty funny. Uh, it, it was enough to deter it. But um, yeah, like you said, man, we're, you, you don't expect it to happen, but you're always prepared for it. And, yeah. you know, so far in, in the years we've been doing this, uh, I haven't had anyone, um, you know, I've been on a few shoots where people have been bit. It's usually on the hand. Uh, or in some extremity, but um, for the most part, um, no one's died, and that's good. Yeah, there is that expression that you know the cameraman never dies, and I think with the uh, with shark filming, what people do see on camera but don't really understand is that you're right. You've got this great big heavy piece of metal that's directly in front of your face, and yeah. anytime a shark gets too close, your job is literally to push that thing into its face, which in turn deflects the shark because there's nothing to eat there. Yeah. So you see all these like really tight shots of a shark coming up and like biting at the camera and stuff. And, you know, they're biting a camera, not the person. So job done. Yeah, exactly. What does the pitch process for you look like? Because I think a lot of people would look at, you know, all the, the shark stuff that gets made, not just yours, but everybody's and think, how many more shark stories are there to tell? Right. Right. Every year we, we think the same thing. Like how, how are, what else is there to learn about great whites or hammerheads or the mega mouth sharker um but the pitch process is it, it, it's a bizarre process i don't do it that often to be honest i i mostly focus on the cinematography i mostly focus on uh, the field work not really the development or or the pitch process but i i did pitch a film this year for shark week with uh they the execs were asking me like hey man so you know who do you want to work with this year what do you want to do and i'm like oh i, I miss working with my buddy paul de gelder uh, yeah, Paul's great. We'd love to team you up with Paul. Well, what do you want to do? And I was like, uh, I'd love to just blindfold Paul together and put him in front of some tiger sharks where he can't see anything. And uh, they're like, this is awesome. Sold. <laughs> we'll do it. And I'm like, wait, I got to tell you the story. The rest of the, the human sensory system, shark sensory systems, how they're going to interact, the technology. Don't worry. We love it. Just do it. Blindfold Paul, put him in with some tiger sharks and Make sure he comes back alive. <laughs> so for the people who are now looking forward, just like me, to seeing this show where you're just blindfolding guy and throwing him underwater, um, explain to us the concept behind it because it seems like somebody greenlighting something where he's just going underwater with a blindfold on. Eh, where's the story in that? Tell us what you actually wanted to do with it. Exactly. I mean, I, I knew that they would be interested in sort of the, the stunt. The um, well, any, Anytime you endanger somebody's life with sharks, like... Or, or come close to it uh, is always, you know, an interest of uh, humans and the network. Uh, but with Paul, the whole idea was, you know, Paul ha- has survived a shark attack, a pretty intense one. And so have other friends of mine. And a lot of people that experience these negative encounters with sharks would report getting an eerie feeling before it happened. Or they, they just felt like something wasn't right. And so we were investigating or investigate essentially human sensory systems versus shark sensory systems, how they work uh, with each other, against each other, how they work underwater, obviously. Um, And uh, it was pretty fascinating. We also used different technologies to test different theories. And the whole idea was to try to see, can humans actually, you know, predict or pre-detect a shark attack? Um, So, yeah. 
Uh, what was the conclusion of that? Essentially, not really. You know, like a, a lot of people would report these eerie feelings and then psychologists and people would debunk, say, well, you, you've placed this eerie feeling over this event because it happened to you. Right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Somebody who's been through that experience is going to be obviously traumatized by it. They're going to cue into the factors and signals that might be around them and just be right. a little more hyper aware. So for the shows, so that's one that you pitched. Obviously, you're doing a lot of shows where you're not part of that sort of creative process. You're probably getting a phone call. You're walking onto, onto set or onto the boat or whatever it might be. And being given your marching orders, how many times do you say, no, nah, that's not going to work? Or how about we go a different direction? Um, <laughs> out loud, do I say that or in the back of my head? <laughs> I mean, there, there have been a few projects that I've had to turn down for... Um, I don't know, personal reasons, I just didn't feel like it was uh, my my type of, uh, just not how I interact with sharks or, or whatever. I've had them ask me a few times, hey, can we dangle you on a crane with great white sharks to put on one of your cameras? Or will you get lowered from a hundred foot like tower into the dark by yourself? Uh, and those ones I did say yes to, um, but some of them um, were definitely, yeah, yeah. So, so, sometimes I'll say no. Okay, so where do you draw the line? Yeah, where I draw the line. I mean, really, it's about respecting the sharks. If 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 for some reason there's disrespect to the sharks or it can be, um, you know, harmful to the sharks or anything where it's just like, ah, you know, just you, you got to respect these predators. They're, they're amazing, but they're not circus animals. They are very polite. They do a lot of like, uh, they'll interact with you. They'll, you know, you'll see the illicit behaviors that you you hope that they will elicit, um, but at the end of the day, they're wild animals, and you got to just kind of let them be when they need to be let be. Where do you think shark filmmaking is going? And this is kind of not necessarily just Shark Week, but you know the category as a whole. You, you spoke about natural history, and I remember back to the days of you know the blue chip filmmaking, you know where it was David Attenborough and Jacques Cousteau and and these kind of expedition based things where the animals weren't. They weren't given personalities so much as just having their characters explained. Now we're in the world right. of, I, I think, storytelling. You know, we're, we're storytelling on behalf of the animals, um, which is a natural progression, I think. Where do we go? Do we, do we make them more personable or is, do we kind of like reel it back into blue chip? Like, what's the direction forward? That's a good question, man. I mean, I always like reeling it back to the blue chip to just let the animals kind of uh, unfold in front of the lens, so to speak. Um, you know, there's a lot of that anthropomorphication going on where we instill human uh, emotions and human objectives and motives into animal behavior. At the same time, they feel hunger, anger, they get jealous, they get frustrated. Animals do feel a, a wide variety of emotions, obviously, that humans do. So, um, I think a mix of both. All I know is, is it quality over quantity? Is it quantity over quality? I have, I have no, this, to be honest, when Shark Week comes out, I, my head is so exploded with sharks from, from shooting the shows to watching the rough cuts, the fine cuts, the edits, doing some voiceover, you know, checking the, the graphics, the whole process is, um, it's, it's intense. And then when Shark Week comes out, it's an avalanche of sharks, uh, or you just, it's it's almost like it's incredible. It's Shark Week. I mean, what the hell? <laughs> What's a moment that you've had out there that you thought, "Oh, this is this is just for me." Like, have you ever seen Walter Mitty, the the yeah. film Walter Mitty? 
Yeah. And you know where the that uh photographer's out there and he's he's tracking down the snow leopards and he finally sees it after months oh, in the yeah. field and then he doesn't yeah. shoot the photo and Walter's like, What are you doing? He's like, Well, that one was just for me. What's yeah. that moment for you? <laughs> That's a good question, man. Maybe like great white sharks mating. You know, we're out there, it's all happening. And I'm like, you know, this is just for me. And then I'd get out of the water and they would all yeah, they'd probably throw me back in and try to feed me to the shark after refusing to film it. <laughs> wow, I don't know. That is a good these are good <laughs> questions, man. What about you? What's your what's your Walter Mitty? Uh, my Walter Mitty. Uh, yeah, yeah, hard hard question, isn't it? Um yeah, for me it would have been uh we're doing tech diving on the shipwrecks out in the Marshall Islands. And I was tagging sharks. We were trying to find sharks on the wrecks to prove that they were uh, relating with the um, with the local islands. And uh, being down there, penetrating inside the wreck, knowing that I wouldn't find a shark in there, but having that moment of being like, I've dreamed about being in this location my entire life. That was that was pretty special. Then of course I went and tagged the shark, got the job done. But you do have those moments in the field where it's, it becomes just a special moment for yourself, right? Yeah, no. That's cool, Math. So for somebody who wants to get into this, you know, line of work, into underwater filmmaking, particularly with sharks, give them like your top three tips for what they should do or be good at before they get into it. You know, the number one question I get is, uh, how do I do what you do? How do I become a filmmaker, a researcher? How do I work with sharks? How can I do it right now? I don't want to go to college. Like a lot of people, they, there, there's certain paths that you could take, certainly, but... um. I think uh, for me, um, it was all about putting myself into places where there were professionals doing the jobs that I wanted to do, whether it was a a scientist, a boat captain, a professional diver. Certainly, if you want to work in the field of sharks, being a good diver is important. It's not critical. I mean, you could still be a tech on the boat. You could learn a lot about sharks without ever getting into the water with them. I think you got to really be passionate about sharks. It helps sometimes to specialize if you really love hammerheads, makos, tigers, or whatever it is, um, you know, there are over 500 plus species. Pick one that you love the most and try to team up with scientists that are, you know, studying them and creating conservation initiatives around the world to protect them. Um, I don't know, Luke, this is, this is stuff you're good at, man. What, what, what would you, what would you tell people? Uh, you know, I think I have much the same opinion as you. There is no one path. You know, I studied marine biology. I had, all the intent of the world of going on and doing a PhD, but I got a job immediately after my undergrad. You know, I did three years of marine biology and got a job tagging whale sharks in Honduras. Like, dude, why would I do more college when I can go do what I want to be doing? So I went and did that and then, you know, just just followed the path, just stayed open to opportunity and, you know, definitely got lucky, but worked really bloody hard um, to be able to continue shining a light on sharks. And I think that's maybe for me that was kind of one of the most important things it was always about the animals you know it's, it's always been about working with the animals and about the science behind the animals and sometimes you have to make those tough decisions to not put yourself forward first if you know right. what that means because that's the only way you can stick to your guns and actually make a name for yourself so i think you know if somebody was saying hey i'm you know up and coming youtuber or i want to work for discovery or something i'd be like you know Find your voice and stick to your voice and make sure it's one that you can defend in 10 years' time yeah. and be proud of. And, yeah. and that voice and that sort of integrity is something that people will you know, appreciate and like, you know, hopefully. And 
that's how you'll stay employed and keep your job. Yeah. I, I, I guess that's all I'd say. Other than that, you know, do and a lot of time in the water and don't be, <laughs> don't be that guy on the boat who gets his hand stuck in the rope. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, just back to like people that want to get involved, there's so many outlets now. Like even if, if someone right now watching this or listening wants to work on Shark Week, go out and make your first little mini documentary and put it on YouTube. You might get more views than than this, you know? So anyway, <laughs> some good advice. All right, mate. Well, we look forward to seeing uh, much more of you on Shark Week this year. I think you're on, what is it, four shows this year? Uh, seven. <laughs> seven shows. <laughs> yeah. Mate, you're an animal. Well, I appreciate your time. I know you're over in Sweden and, uh, and traveling over there. So thanks for hanging out with us and uh, we'll chat to you after your next project. All right, buddy. Happy Shark Week, everyone. Thanks, Luke. Peace. Good on you, Andy. Thanks. All right, it's time for our Shark Bite, where Sierra leaves us with an ocean fact to end the show. What have you got for us today, Sierra? Yeah, so I know we've been talking a lot about conservation and why it's so important to protect sharks, so I thought that we could actually have a number as to how many sharks are threatened. Good to know what we're working with. What have you got? So, unfortunately, of the 536 assessed species, over a third of them, 35.9% of them, are threatened, and that includes species that are vulnerable, endangered, or critically endangered. That's crazy. So that's over a third that are at some peril. Why is it a 0.9? It's a great question. Um, I actually didn't find a reported whole number as to the number of shark species that are endangered. Uh, when you do the math out, it ends up with some decimals. So not sure what's going on with that. Okay. Yeah, it's probably because they're assessing species over different areas of the planet. You know, one species might be threatened in one place and, and critically endangered in another place in there doing some statistic but it would be nice to have a whole number but regardless over 30 percent of sharks so where does that leave us so i don't know exactly what the number is for sharks specifically but for all sharks raised in chimeras over the last decade we've increased the number of species threatened from 25 percent to 37 percent and what's driving that because it seems like in the last decade we've been doing a lot of work to prevent that happening so what's causing it? Yeah, so while there's a ton of conservation efforts going on, a lot of reports are saying that it's uh, an increase in fishing pressure over the years. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Well, it seems like we've come a long way, but there's still a long way to go. Thanks for that, Sierra. Anytime. That's it for another episode of Shark Week, the podcast. I want to thank you for listening and hope you learned something from this. And I want to thank Andy Casagrande. You're a good bloke. Thanks for joining us, mate. Look forward to having a beer with you soon. Thanks for listening, guys. Chat to you soon. Shark Week, the podcast is produced by Delve Media for Warner Brothers Discovery. Luke Tipple is the executive producer and our writer and producer is Yale Rice. Our researcher and associate producer is Sierra Kehoe. For Warner Brothers Discovery, the executive producer is Christina Bavetta, and the coordinating producer is Corinne Wilson. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review and subscribe to help our mission to give sharks a voice.